Ladies and gentlemen, put on your dancing shoes and get ready for a whirlwind tour of entrepreneurship, marketing brilliance, and yes, a touch of showbiz flair. Introducing the effervescent Nicole Donnelly, a fourth generation entrepreneur, supermom, and a power packed force in the world of small business manufacturing. From belting out show tunes in her living room to transforming business blunders into blessings, Nicole's passion for storytelling and innovation knows no bounds. As the founder of DMG Digital, Nicole's mission is to accelerate the growth of small manufacturers and help them out-teach the competition. Want to boost your online presence? She's got the zest and the zest know-how. With her crooked pinkies tapping on the keyboard, <laughs> Nicole brings 20 years of experience managing accounts from small to medium businesses to the Fortune 500, increasing profits fourfold, and building digital marketing strategies that sparkle like her love for musical theater. <laughs> Tune in to her very own podcast, Tales of Misadventure, where she dishes out tales of entrepreneurial mishaps and triumphs. Like her ability to turn lemons into lemonade, Nicole's insights are a refreshing take on business, marketing, and life. When she's not dazzling the digital world or dancing with her beautiful girls, Nicole's exploring the globe, volunteering, or indulging in her love for laughter, oysters, and homemade pie. So get ready to groove to the rhythm of creativity, <laughs> wisdom, and unending energy as we welcome the most effervescent guest ever to grace a manufacturing culture podcast, the incredible <laughs> Nicole Donnelly. Hello, Nicole. Welcome to the manufacturing culture podcast. How are you doing today? Oh my gosh. Hello, Jim. I, I gotta say, I've been on quite a few podcasts and I have yet to have quite an intro like that. That was incredible. Bravo. I don't know Thank if I you. live on. I have, a, you totally outdid me with the theatrical. I don't know if I can live up to that effervescence <laughs> and theatricality that, you know, me, me singing out, you know, show tunes in my living room. I don't think that could compare with what you just did. That was uh, Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I, I'm taking a virtual bow here and, uh, <laughs> Excited to have a conversation with you today. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for being you and being on the podcast. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, you've been in the industry for, uh, you know, almost 20 years now, I guess. Um, and you've, you've done some pretty cool things uh, with the marketing uh, transformation for, for small to medium-sized manufacturers. So, uh, Nicole, let's start off. Tell us about DMG Digital. How many employees do you have? What do you all do? What makes you different than, than the other marketing uh, agencies out there? Oh, great question. Yes. So I founded this company right before COVID. Literally, I remember I registered for my LLC. I think it was February of 2020. No kidding. And and then COVID hit. And I'm going to tell you, I was like from <laughs> for a month, I was like, what? 
Was this really the right move? I don't know. It was very weird. It was a dicey time. But when yeah. I started my company, I was blessed because basically what I did is I was working in-house as a marketing manager for an industrial manufacturer. Okay. And we had had just tremendous success and I was, loved it so much. I was like, man, I would really, really love to take some of these same strategies and help other small businesses build out their marketing departments because as I'm sure you know, Jim, so many of these small companies have like little to zero marketing presence whatsoever. Oh. They've built their business based on word of mouth Absolutely. and referrals. And they've woken up and they're like, gee, we can't keep up with our competition unless we do this digital marketing thing, right? right. And so it was really exciting to see that transformation happen in this business and see, you know, them, you know, adopt a new CRM, invest in marketing automation, really put together an awesome marketing strategy and invest in inbound and video marketing and blogging and all of that, all of that, and just see the impact that it had. I was like, man, this is so fun. <laughs> I just want to help other companies do this. So I actually was approached by a previous employer while I was thinking about this, Jim. And I was okay. like, if this is not a sign, then I don't know what is. So I approached my my employer at the time and said, can I take you on as a client? And they graciously said yes. And, uh, and so I, when I started my company, I had two clients so that I think I was really lucky in that regard. So even though COVID hit, I was like, well, I've got my two clients, you know, Absolutely. I've got work. It's That's great. a win. That was a win. And so, um, basically I started out doing fractional work. And as you know, in entrepreneurship, I feel like every you're always pivot. There's always a pivot that needs to happen, right? Yeah. Like, so I was doing fractional work for quite a while and I realized I wanted to scale this business. I didn't want to just be, I didn't want it to just be a lifestyle business. I was yeah. like, you know, I really want to scale this. And, and if you're in the fractional world, you know that it is very difficult to scale a fractional business because you just simply do not have the brain power to understand yeah. these companies as deeply as you need to, to be able to. And so, um, so anyways, I had to make a pivot. And so we rebranded the company to DMG Digital a, almost a year ago now. Okay, congrats. Thank you. Yeah, very exciting. And since that time, we've really niched down and, and we're really focusing on helping small um, business manufacturers with their content marketing awesome. and with HubSpot management. So okay. I'm a HubSpot partner. We love HubSpot. We've implemented it for, for many of our clients and manage it for them. And so that's what we do. We have this process where we we, we basically love subject matter experts and every manufacturing company has these magical, we call them SMEs, these magical <laughs> SMEs that have been working in these businesses for sometimes decades. And yeah. they have so much technical knowledge and nobody knows about it outside the company, unless you're, you know, you know, a, a, an existing customer. Yep. And so it's really been very exciting for us to just really celebrate these SMEs and really put them at the front and, the, of front and center of their marketing so that we're interviewing their subject matter experts and bringing all that amazing knowledge and, and, you know, that they've learned all through their careers and really putting it out there to help educate potential prospects and customers. So we call it our content engine and we interview the subject matter experts. We say, give us an hour of your time. We're going to give you a month's worth of very rich content and distribute it for you. So we create blogs, videos, you know, both shorts and long, longer videos, and then social media posts. And that's our content engine. And that's, um, wow. So we do. We love it. It's super fun. We have a, our team is hybrid. And so when I decided I wanted to scale this company, I really intentionally said, you know, I'd really love to work with contractors as much as possible, just because from a business perspective, 
Um, there's you don't have, there's less overhead. Yeah, absolutely. Less risk. And so we have a hybrid team. So we have a total of three employees, and then we have a team of contractors that we work with who are specialists. But they're it's it's amazing, Jim, because it it doesn't feel. You know, sometimes you think of contractors as like separate. They're kind of like on their own. Yeah. Our contractors are very integrated with our team. Like it's almost like they're employees. It's so weird to say. Like we're just kind of like very, very, um, uh, they're all integrated. So yeah, we've got three employees and then I'd say, geez, like four, four contractors that we work with regularly. Oh, okay. So yeah. Good for you. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, it's been really fun and exciting to be able to kind of, build this hodgepodge team and (laughs) see, and they all bring such unique talents and we're just so blessed and lucky that they have such unique gifts and talents, all of them. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's what we do every day. And I love it. And we'll dive a little bit more into the, to that, uh, you know, the HubSpot part and, and your approach with, with your clients, because I'm very intrigued by that. Um, and how, that kind of digitalization of marketing really helps uh, the culture, right, uh, of your clients. So we'll dive into that in a little bit. But I want to talk more about your story. You know, Nicole in the manufacturing industry. You've been in the industry almost twenty years now. Um, talk to us about where the culture was when you started, uh, and and how has it progressed to the present day and in, in your journey in the industry. Oh, that's a great question. So, geez, I mean, my experience has been a lot in purely the marketing side of things. So I can definitely speak to that. Like, what has the culture been like with marketing specifically with manufacturers when I first started to where it's at now? And I will say when I first started in this industry, it was marketing was just very archaic. It was, you know... (laughs) or non-existent. Mm -hmm. So at least for the company that I worked for, they were working out of a very just, it was act. So it was, you know, not on premise, terrible, you know, and literally just inside sales outbound cold calling was basically what they were doing. There was no marketing. There there was zilch, you know, not really anything. Um, And so I think, uh, you know, what I've seen shifting in the, in the culture now with manufacturers is they're kind of manufacturers have always been a little bit of laggards when it comes to marketing. Let's be honest. They're kind of always very traditional Yep. by, by, you know, in terms of, you know, and a little bit um, hesitant to new ideas. They're very, no, you don't say (laughs) they're very, um, this is the way we've always done things. This is what's worked for us you know, change is always a bit of a challenge. Which is amazing Um, to me, Nicole, because these are the same people who will go to IMTS and see new processes to remove metal and spend millions of dollars on a new machine, which I I can appreciate and good for them. Right. But when it comes to marketing, when it comes to people strategies, culture, right. It, it, it is that, old school train of thought a a little bit, right? Oh, so true. I think it's because they're, it's a, it's, it's an industry dominated by engineers, (laughs) you know, and there's nothing like the, I love engineers. This is, I I don't want this to sound in any way, but like engineers by nature are just, they're very traditional. They're not very open to change. They're very logical. They're, you know, there's, there's a resistance there to anything that would be considered new or different. And 
there's there, there's good in that, you know, there's there's absolutely good in that. And there's a reason why engineers make the manufacturing world go around. Absolutely. But if you can like tap into those engineers and help them see and understand the value of marketing and, and the importance of them getting their knowledge out there, like I said, with these SMEs, oh, it, companies who can embrace that, who can really like their engineers get it and see it and can get excited about it. Sheesh, yeah. the opportunities for growth are just endless when they can just open up their minds to the possibilities there and actually see the larger picture of, hey, besides just designing this equipment, my, it, you know, how, it, it, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it's I just, do. it's. Yeah. Well, so, and, I mean, the, this is a. Uh, in an industry that forever, you know, their idea of marketing was a single web page, uh, <laughs> not a website, single web page with a list of their machines uh, yeah. and a list of their capabilities and some contact information, right? So uh, to, to change that idea, it takes, takes a lot of change management um, on, oh. on your part. You are not kidding. Change management. I would say... That is the hardest part of my job. The really? hardest part is the change management aspect of it. It's getting the stakeholders to self-discover for themselves rather than me telling them uh, that this change is going to help their company grow and, and get to the next level that they want it to. Because they all want to. They all come yeah. and they say, I want more leads. I want more business. Well, great. What do you want to change to get there? Something's got to change. Isn't that like so much of the, I want more leads, but I want to do it the way that I've always done. Well, that's clearly not working. So, Isn't that the definition of insanity? Something. Right. Like, so what are you willing to change in order to get there? Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a, it definitely is a process. You absolutely need buy-in from the top um, and they need to be bought into it. And there needs to be alignment al among all of the departments all of the sure. departments. We talk a lot about sales and marketing alignment. That's important. But even on the operations side and the customer success side, yeah. in order for it to really hum and really work, you need stakeholders from every division to be involved, to be a part of it, in all of it, and, and accountable to all of it. Um, and show them the respect. You know, like when we're talking about culture, and I just really feel the more that you can involve your, your departments in the decision-making process, and they're a part of it, it's just, you're going to get to a, such a better result um, than if you just create something and then just say, okay, this is what we're doing. Go, go execute it. <laughs> Here's my vision. Go do it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I will say, yeah, I, I will say I've seen a shift now where before there was, a, there was a lot more resistance to digital marketing and to this. Now there's certainly less resistance. People are coming to us now and saying, sheesh, this word of mouth referral thing, it's not working as well as it used to. And our competitors are getting ahead of us. And how do we show up in search? Our competitors are outranking us. And, you know, what do we need to do? We've always, we've built our business based on our reputation. And, you know, how do we let more people know about our amazing reputation? You know, yeah. so I think they're, they're, they're catching up. They're catching up. They're recognizing um, that something needs to change. Um, but, you know, there's always, it's always hard. Change yeah. management is always hard. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's yeah. It's sometimes, uh, and without a doubt, the most difficult part of my consulting business is that change management and and talking to people yeah. who have, 
you know, retention rates or turnover rates of well, 50 to 60%, but yet they don't think that they need to change the way that they're doing <laughs> business to retain people when they've quite literally, I've, I have this prospect that I'm working, uh, and I'm not going to name any names, um, but they have 64% turnover rate. They have a mm-hmm. new class of new hires starting every Monday for like the last 20 years. And mm-hmm. they're in a, a medium sized city. Um, mm-hmm. And they're starting to get people applying that didn't work out 15 years ago, 10 years ago. And, and yet they continue doing the things the same way and, and are, are complaining that, they can't find the right people. So uh, I, I, <laughs> it's wild to me. And so I, I get completely what you're saying. Um, yeah, it's almost like, I think a lot of this has to do with, I lo- I'm a huge fan of this book by Daniel Coyle. It's called The Culture Code. And I, what I love about his approach is that in order for you to really like make a, create a cultivate a positive culture, you have to lead with some vulnerability and some humility, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So yeah. if, if, if you are a uh, manufacturer and you see that, sheesh, you know, we have a high turnover rate, you know, I've seen situations where they will automatically say, well, we're just not hiring their, it's these, it's the, the people that's the problem. These right. people, they're just not living up instead of having the humility to look inward at the leadership and say, well, what is it that's creating this high turnover rate? You know, there. What do we need to change with our process? Yeah. What do we need to change with our training? What you know? What is it that we're not doing to create an environment where these people are thriving? You know, because exactly that that I think is like ultimately where great culture starts from is just having a mindset of just utter humility. And I think in marketing we talk about this a lot. That you know, the key to great marketing is really understanding your customer really well, understanding your audience really well, sure. having the humility to recognize that you don't know all of the answers to what these customers need or want. You have to ask them. You can't make assumptions. I mean, that is like great marketing, you know, Absolutely. you know, yes. times ten. And yeah. it's the same with culture. It you is. Have to take the time to talk to your to your people and ask them and, you know, do an ass- assessment with them, a needs assessment to see what do they need to see succeed in their job and really listen. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I think that's, uh, I can't tell you how much of the time, uh, Jim, that it's just not happening. Like, yeah. it's just, <laughs> like yes. I don't, you know, I, I've, I've worked for organizations where you can just see that this, the culture is struggling and, you know, when the employees are backbiting behind leadership and leadership just has no idea and they're not even comfortable enough to share and leadership's not asking. And then there's this disconnect and it's like, can't we all just come together and have a conversation about this? And maybe we could make some things happen. Absolutely. And and you talked earlier about alignment when it comes to, uh, the, the values, uh, when it comes to marketing. And, and again, just like you said, that's all culturally right? A good culture. Uh, to me, there's really no such thing as a bad culture. Some places have toxic cultures, but that's because there's a complete misalignment of values, right? Between the organization and the employees. When you mm-hmm. have that alignment, 
that's when you have a healthy culture. And it sounds like that's somewhat similar to, to marketing. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's really true. What may be a horrible culture to you within an organization may fit somebody else and, and what they value out of a workplace, right? It, they may like, you know, back channel politics. They may value that, right? And so a company that does that or has that as one of their cultural and value norms, they would fit very well in there, right? Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so to me, it's, there's no really bad culture. It's just misalignment of values. And when you get to that, that level where you're aligning, that's when healthy culture exists. Um, so I, I, I'm hearing a lot of correlations and connection between your world and, and the world of culture. Have you ever, or can you, in the, the years that you've been doing this and you don't have to name any names if, if you <laughs> don't want, um, but can you name, uh, or can you tell us some, uh, some experiences you've had where either clients of DMG just had such a, a rough culture that it was hard to align the, the marketing <laughs> vision that, that you had Im imagined? Yes. I've actually had to walk away from clients. Ooh, um, tell me more. Yeah. Well, one client in particular, um, it was very painful, but yes, definitely. Um, this was a situation where, um, and this actually was this, uh, this example is not in manufacturing, but I think it's completely relevant. This was a absolutely. client of ours that absolutely was out of manufacturing, but what happened was, is we, we were, um, you know, brought in to help put together a marketing strategy and implement on that strategy for this organization. Mm -hmm. And um, initially what happened immediately from the get-go is that any suggestions that we made were uh, met with distrust and um, a lack of openness to what we had suggested. Wow. And so, you know, th there were several conversations where you know, we had made recommendations on, for example, how to handle their social media strategy. And they wanted to put together, they were in business for 20 years at the time, I think, and they wanted to do a 20 year anniversary campaign. And so I, you know, my social media strategist and we brainstormed and we, you know, let's, the, the idea was, let's talk about your customers. Let's talk about, let's share their success stories. Yeah. Let's talk about how you have helped them win, right? Absolutely. Massive humility, put the spotlight on the customer. Let's yep. share their stories. And it was met with resistance. No, no, we don't want to do that. We want to talk about what we're doing next. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we want to talk about what we're doing next. And so respectfully, we, you know, went back to the table and we, you know, revised everything, you know, we pushed back as, as, as respectfully as, as I could and said, you know, it feels like there's a lack of trust here and what we're recommending to you had to have that difficult conversation, yeah. which is never pleasant. But, you know, as, um, as agencies, you have to, you have to challenge your clients when they're, you know, in those situations, I've learned that in order for you to really get the, the results you want for your clients, you have to be willing to stand up and say, Hey, wait a second. Yeah. You know, this is what we're recommending to you. And it feels like there's a lack of trust. And if there's not trust, we can't really, it's not going to work. Yeah. So we had to have those conversations and, and, um, there were basically, there were three strikes, Jim, three strikes. And uh, <laughs> at point where we were like, you know, 
if you're not willing to trust us to do this work, then, you know, we're, we, you know, then we're basically handcuffed. We're not going to be able to get you the results that you want because you're not trusting us to use our expertise. Absolutely. Within that organization, there was some culture issues where there was, you know, um, Oh, let's just say the idea that the, the certain people on the leadership team were kind of like uh, shutting down or stonewalling other people on their team internally in meetings, if that makes sense. And just kind of like dictating how things needed to be done. And rather than kind of listening and trying to engage even people within their own team, it was very much a very top down. This is what I want to do. And this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. And when you have a culture like that, um, it's very difficult to uh, create a change if there's not a willingness to embrace and accept the ideas, collaboration from other people on the team. So yeah. that was a really difficult and painful decision. It was a really great <laughs> account for us. And I, and I, and I, and the thing, here's the other part of it is that it was impacting the culture on my team because my team was feeling the lack of trust. They were running around like chickens with their heads cut off trying to, you know, make this client happy and who was never going to be satisfied. And it was impacting their mental health. And so as the leader, I was like, you know what, at the end of the day, my, my biggest responsibility is to my team. I know that may be controversial to people, but I firmly believe that if you are respectful to your team, you trust them, you create an environment for them to, you know, thrive and grow and succeed, they are going to be deliver over and above to your clients, what you could even ever have imagined. And so from my perspective, if I have a client who's toxic, who is treating my team in such a way that I would not want them to be treated, and they're in an environment where there's not trust, I have to shut that down. You know, like the money is not worth it to me if my team is going to be impacted. So it was really hard. I was like, man, this is good money. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not, you know, I've been in business, not like I'm, I'm going to be in my fourth year soon. So it's not like I'm this, you know, I'm not this established <laughs> company yet, Jim. And it was good money, you know, and yeah. I, like, it was a hard decision. I lost sleep over it. And I, but once I did, once I made that decision and made that phone call and it was painful and it felt awful and it was uncomfortable. And of course the client didn't get it. Right. Of course it. not. I, I, you know, can't imagine they would, <laughs> you know, so then, but then there was just, I just, after that, I just had such peace of mind, you know, Good. like you are as a leader, you have, and you're showing that to your team. You're showing them the, the, um, behavior that you're going to accept and the behavior that you're not going to accept. And they're learning from that. They're learning from that. And sheesh, I feel a responsibility to them. I want to show them what it's like to, you know, create a culture where there's trust and safety and all of that. So anyway. So did you see a rebound of, uh, of your team and the culture internally at DMG after, uh, you know, you made that stand with the client? It was amazing. I will tell you, I was stressed financially. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a big account or how are we going to make this up? And, um, at the time I had a full-time employee. So I felt so responsible for her is my first full-time employee. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to, she should be in that position. So the beautiful thing was, is we lost that account. And in less than a month, we more than made up the income. It was incredible. And then on top of that, we regrouped as a team and I will, I'll never forget. Like, uh, we regrouped as a team after that. And they were just basically 
there was so much gratitude. They were like, Nicole, we're so grateful that you, like they were just like, it was like a relief for them to no longer have to work on it. And then we kind of like together as a team decided, you know what? We need to come up with our own internal success markers. We need to like come up with our own, because when you, when you work in an agency, you know, so much of it is, is like, you're getting so much feedback from the client about what they like, what they don't like. And there's a lot of creatives on our team who are just like, you know, that's their work and they're proud of it and all that stuff. (laughs) So we decided we needed to come up with success markers to say like, this is what we are going to define amongst ourselves as we are, you know, these are our measures of success. Yeah. So no matter what's going on, no matter what. The, the clients are saying or doing or whatever, if we can meet these success markers internally, I want you guys to all know like that, that's, that's what I consider. That's what we as an organization consider successful. And the cool thing was, is we did it together. So like, you know, before I, we had this like brainstorming session and I was like, okay, we're going to come up with these sex, success markers. And I was like, well, I could go in there and I can say, well, this is what I think our success markers should be. What do you guys <laughs> think? You know? And it was like the most beautiful experience, Jim. I come to this meeting and like, guys, we need to come up with our success markers. And they just like blew me away with what they came up with. Like that's awesome. They came up with things I would have never even thought of. Like, you know, we enjoy the work. It brings like personal enjoyment, this work that we're doing, you know, and just like the things they came up with. And so that was just like such a cool confirming. uh, I guess it just gave me confirmation that when you respect your team enough to let them be involved in building that culture with you, then you're going to create something that is way more amazing than what you could ever even dream or come up with on your own. Absolutely. And then they're like so invested in it. They, oh, they, 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 they feel so respected and cherished that they give, I, I just can't, I can't even, it's just amazing to see, you know, well, you've, you've given them the the chance because uh, to me, a great leader always finds a way to connect the greater purpose of the organization, that, that mission and vision of the organization to the jobs that the employees do on a day-to-day basis. Right. But in your case, yeah. you empowered them to to be part of that process of making that connection. So not only do they feel connected, but they, they defined what connected looks like real time with you guys. Right. Am I, am I hearing that right? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And, um, and, uh, and as I got to tell you, like as a leader and there's so many decisions that you have to make every day. Yeah. And selfishly, like me being able to offload some of that decision-making to the team is a relief. Like, you know, it's, 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 it's nice to be able to, it's like a shared responsibility in some way. I don't have to figure this out on my own. They can, they can help figure it out. And then they, they have shared ownership in it, you know? And for me, like, you know, from a purely like just decision-making, I suck at it sometimes. And it's stressful for me. Like, truthfully, I, you know, like you have this image in your mind of an entrepreneur who's just like so decisive, right? They right. just know what needs to happen all the time. My dad was like that. He was a very brilliant entrepreneur, very driven. And when he made a decision, man, it was like, this is it. He's going forward. He's going to do with it, Jim. And like, <laughs> no going back. He never looked back, no regrets. And that is not me. <laughs> I like, I, I am not that person. 
Like when I have to make a difficult decision, it is really hard. I have, I need time to process it beforehand. I need time to process it after. And I do have times after I make a decision where I'm like, did I make the right decision? Was that really the right call? And so for me, like I've learned about myself, like that is not a strength of mine to just be this very decisive, you know, entrepreneur. So like, I'm trying to cultivate a culture where of course there are certain decisions that I have to make as the business owner. Sure. But, but any, any chance I can push down decision-making in the organization I've just seen it like time and time again. Whenever I can push that decision making down, it really just lifts and empowers the team, and um, and it really and it releases a burden from me. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, great leaders, great leaders uh, aren't ever the smartest person in the room, right? They fill the room with people smarter than them that have skill sets that complement where they're weak, and and it so it, it takes that knowledge of self-awareness to know where you're weak to be able to build those teams around you right and and it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing it's wonderful i love it well it's a work in progress i mean i i gotta tell you like it requires a lot of humility a lot of humility like there are times for example when i get on you know as you can probably tell i like to talk Okay. I'm very extroverted. I, when I'm in a meeting, I want to dominate. I want to share. I want to laugh. I want it to be so fun. And I want to, you know, I like to be, you know, in the center. Okay. I'm just, you know, it's a weakness of mine. And so when I, sometimes like there's been times when I get on meetings and with my, someone on the team and they are just killing it. Like they, I like, I remember one time I was in this meeting. I didn't even have to say anything the whole time. It was completely managed by them. Didn't say anything. And I'm going to be honest. I got off that call and I felt guilty and bad. I was like, I did not contribute anything to this conversation today. Yeah. And for a moment, like my ego crept in. And it was like this moment where I was like, I didn't like, I need to, I wasn't showing value and blah, 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 blah. You know, I think as leaders, we have to check that all the time. Absolutely. Well, and I think we're all conditioned at this point, especially as entrepreneurs, uh, you know, the world of work that we've existed in before starting our journey as entrepreneurs generally is what value am I I bringing to the table, right? And and when you are that top line leader, um, you have to empower the the people around you to be the ones to bring the value. Your value is that you brought these people together under one banner, right? Exactly. Yes. Yep. It took me like, I sat there and I thought about it. I was like, well, wait a second. I don't need to talk. It's better (laughs) that I don't talk. (laughs) It's better. But you know, and that happens in other ways too. Like, like if, um, humility, you have to choose humility. Like times, for example, when you, you delegate a task to someone on the team and let's just say there's for my, from my perspective, there's several scenarios. Okay. You delegate Mm -hmm. or something to someone to the team. And there's three possible outcomes. In my opinion, the first is they completely knock it out of the park. They do it way better than you ever could do it. Okay. And you see it and you're like, Oh man, they're way better than me. Humility. (laughs) <laughs> they're way better than me. That's great. The second, sec- second outcome is they, they do it 80% as well as you do. Okay. So it's good enough to ship, but it's not as good as what you would do. Right. That can be hard too, because you want to get in there and be like, well, I want to change this and I want to change it this way. And I want to do it this way. And you have to learn to be like, you know what? It's okay. It's you okay. want to perfect it. it. 
you want to perfect it. Exactly. And it's, that's humility to step yeah. back and be like, you know what? It doesn't need to be my way. It's okay. We can ship this. They're going to learn. Yeah. You know, I got to give them the chance to figure out and learn. So that's the second. The third outcome is they completely bomb it and they <laughs> don't totally don't, you know, and it, they get to 50% and you're like, well, oh, they, <laughs> I, I clearly, you know, there's two options. You'd be like, well, they're not getting it. There's something wrong here. They're not a good fit. Even if that's the case, even if they're not a good fit, you were the one that put them in that position. Exactly. You are responsible. So yeah. that, that requires humility because you have to one, acknowledge hey, I didn't put the right person in the right seat on the bus. That's on me. Or I need to do a better job of training this person. I clearly didn't explain this to them well enough. So like all three of those scenarios, Jim, like if you really want to be a great leader, you have to learn to be humble. And it's so hard. (laughs) (laughs) It's so hard. Absolutely. I wish someone had the easy pill for it, man. That would be nice. Well, and I, I... What's oh, there's a book um, uh, by Jeffrey Pfeffer. Uh, it's called Leadership. Yeah, it's called Leadership BS, um, as in bologna sausage. And <laughs> I'll tell you, it was an eye-opening book, right? So, as somebody who helps organizations and and helps them develop leaders, I didn't realize what a racket the leadership development industry was right. And how many people are looking for that easy pill. Right. And so leadership BS breaks down some very, very prominent thought leaders. And you can't see me, but I did air quotes when I said that. Um, (laughs) I gotta uh, check this book out. Oh, it, it, was an absolute game changer because it takes the principles from these thought leaders and dissects them into much more humanistic terms. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time saying, look, there's, there is no easy pill for, for becoming a good leader. There's, there's no amount of, you know, courses and, and uh, mastermind groups and all of these things that you can take and do and participate in that's going to make you a great leader overnight. Leadership is just like any other skill. It's, uh, it's, it's like playing soccer or swimming or playing basketball or machining a part, right? It takes practice. Nobody becomes a machinist overnight. Nobody becomes a, a great leader overnight. They they need to work at the craft and, and they need to evolve with time. Yeah. Um, so phenomenal book. Uh, I, I highly recommend anybody out there listening, read Leadership BS, um, but yet still hire me to come in and talk <laughs> leadership. <laughs> oh, man. Um, So Nicole, you've got these, you know, uh, success markers for what success looks like internally at DMG. Um, what does, what are you looking for out of your clients? Uh, what, what makes an ideal client to, to go on this transformation, this marketing transformation journey with you? Oh, great question. I think the first thing that we always look for is do they have an openness and a willingness to want to learn, right? Okay. Like, do they want to learn and understand? Because 
usually when we start off an engagement, there's some training involved where we teach them kind of the basics so they can understand what it is that we're doing. Are they willing to, do they want to learn? Do they want to understand how it works? Mm-hmm. Um, if they, if they want to learn and understand how it works, I think that's a number. It's great. Are they willing to invest in someone on their team internally who can be the person to manage the marketing, right? We have found that the most successful companies who, that we work with are those that already have an internal marketing person. Okay. So, you know, they're, they're like, a you know, maybe they're the marketing manager or whatever the brand manager, whatever, if they, if they're willing to invest in that person already, they're saying, Hey, I believe in marketing. You know, I'm willing to spend the money to do this and I'm willing to commit to it that they're, they're putting their money where their mouth is. Yeah. And then are they willing to have sales and marketing work together? Like uh, you, you would be so surprised how siloed, well, you probably aren't surprised at all, <laughs> but usually in manufacturing companies, sales and marketing is so siloed Yeah, and it's, and trying to get those two together is like, geez, it's, it's like, and I haven't figured it out. I really haven't figured out why it's so hard. Maybe just because it's the way things have always been done. And there's a little bit of maybe turf wars. They don't understand each other, what each other does, but there's, I think that's, I think that's, sorry to interrupt, but I think yeah. that's exactly it. I think that yeah. people in the marketing department understand MQLs, uh, where sales understands SQLs. They don't understand yeah. how to process, uh, you know, that marketing qualified lead into a sales qualified lead to be able to work together. They, it's, I'm doing my job here, are my goals, here's my directive. Uh, on the marketing side and the sales side is saying the same thing. And those goals aren't necessarily always cascaded down from top level KPIs and goals to where you can find that connection, right? You're, You're absolutely right. And I think, again, it goes back to leadership. The teams that we've had the most success with, they have no problem bringing sales and marketing together and making sure sales and marketing are present in the meetings and yeah. part of the strategy and involved from the beginning. And involved in, you know, what, what the content is, that's going to be created. That's huge. Yeah. You cannot create a great content strategy. If you do not have your sales team involved in creating that with you, it's just, it's not going to happen. They're on the front lines hearing from customers. You know, they know the questions customers are asking. If you want to scale your sales team, which is what great marketing does, you need to know and understand what's happening with the sales team and the customers that they're talking to. So it starts with like that top level leadership saying, Hey, in order for this to work, we need sales and marketing to be working together yeah. rather than separately. And intentionally, it's it's as simple as just making sure that when you have your marketing and sales meeting, that marketing and sales are part of it. And yeah. that there is an expectation that leadership expects that both those teams are going to contribute to that process rather than it being separate. And I, like from my experience, that's been the only way that it's been successful is if that the executive leadership team really like creates that environment. Once that environment is created, then it's like this aha moment where finally, like, it, and it takes time. Obviously, any change takes time. It's not going to be like overnight. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, I get this. You know, <laughs> it, it takes time of like building that relationship to, together, right? That regular communication. And then over time, it's just, it's just part of it. And they, and they get each other, you know, yeah. and they see that they're on the same side. We're not on different sides here. We're, we're, we're trying to help you win. We're trying to help each other win here. You yeah. Know? I love it. So anyway. That's what that's that's what I think about. That's that awesome. I, I love it. Um, so 
let's pivot a little bit, Nicole, because yeah. I want to talk more about Tales of This Adventure. Um, tell us about this podcast um, and uh, what what the idea is behind it. Um, you know, you take blessing or blunders and, and you turn them into <laughs> blessings. You make lemons out of lemonade. Um, so so tell us a little bit about the the podcast itself. Well, the lemons and the lemonade, is like, that's a reference to my sweet eight-year-old because I don't know what it is, Jim. She's obsessed with making lemonade. Is like, she really? <laughs> she loves to make lemonade. Does she like, have a lemonade stand? She has had one. You know, we need to actually, we haven't had one in recently, but like if she, you know, she doesn't necessarily care about baking. She just loves to like mix the lemon juice with the sugar in the water and just get the right. She's like this little scientist. And she doesn't follow a recipe book. She just does it using her own, you know, intuition and taste and everything. And it's really funny to see her process. Like she just, she likes to tinker with it and figure it out. And I anyway, it. I think that's a lot of like what the show is about is we love, I'm so, I can't tell you like entrepreneurship. It's, you know, my dad was a successful entrepreneur. My grandfather, my great grandfather, all three of them built three separate businesses successfully. Wow. It's a, it's a, just a really cool, like, and I grew up seeing the impact that my dad's business had on employees, the community and grandfather. My grandfather owned a hotel right across the street from Disneyland. And I worked there when I was in high school and it was really? so remarkable to see, like, to be a part of that, to be a part of his vision. Like he, 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 you know, invested in this hotel and it was a place where people would, you know, come, they'd save up their you know, to come on the, to Disneyland, it's like yeah. their dream vacation and seeing them come in the door and just the joy on their face and being part of that and knowing that, you know, like my grandfather had kind of created this, like, I don't know, there's just something about entrepreneurship, the, the grit, the just tenacity, the vision that I just love, love, love. And the fact that it's not rainbows, you know, it's not rainbows at all. It is a hard slog. I saw it with my dad. I saw it with my grandfather. People have this idea that, oh my gosh, you're an entrepreneur. You're just going to be rich and you just <laughs> live on a yacht and you get to live in the Mediterranean and you never have to work. And that could not be further from the truth. You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And the right. beauty of being an entrepreneur is that it is ugly sometimes, you oh, know, like, yeah. you know, so the, the reason why I want to do the show is because I wanted to kind of like really highlight and spotlight some amazing entrepreneurs and show like how they're building and how it's, you know, you do make, you're, you're, you're going to fail all the time. And how are you tinkering? How are you like my daughter? She's like, you know, making the lemonade and she's trying to figure <laughs> out the right ingredients to the lemonade. Like how are, how are each of these entrepreneurs kind of like creating their own recipe? for I success. It. And it's always so different and everyone's failures are different and experiences are different. And it's just for me, really fun to just put a spotlight on them and show how, you know, how they're building, what they're building and that it's, even though it can be really challenging and difficult that the rewards and the joy are so incredibly wonderful on the other side of it, you know? Yeah. And you know, the funny thing about it is a lot of these entrepreneurs, when you're an entrepreneur, it can be pretty lonely. And nobody's patting you on the back, you know, <laughs> nobody's saying you did a good job today, Jim, you know, right? you really killed it. You don't have a manager that's giving you an annual review, right? you know, you, you, you're like, you're like in the dogfight, just trying to survive every day. Absolutely. And so I love the idea of just being able to just be, to be able to celebrate them and be like, you're doing amazing stuff. 
you know, you know, you may not see it because you're in it and it feels hard and tough sometimes, but what you're doing is pretty stinking cool. So anyway, no, I love that. I, I, one of my big messages is everybody's going to fail. So fail fast, learn from your mistakes and move on. Right. And your, your podcast embodies that. And because as, as employees hear of leaders, uh, vulnerability, right. And, and they learn mm-hmm. of the mistakes that they've made. It humanizes them and, and it yes. makes those employees then gravitate and connect more with their leaders. So I love that. I, I love the whole idea of, of the podcast, which episode. So for anybody who's listening, who, and please listeners don't stop listening to this, to listen to tales of misadventure. <laughs> you can listen to both of them in any given week. Um, which episode would you say listeners today need to start their journey with you by listening to which one is going to grab them? What a great question. Oh, that is so hard. Isn't it? <laughs> Every guest I've had has been so remarkable and so such great insight. Oh man. So is it the type of thing that we should just start from the beginning and just push play and let it roll through the, the next one? Like we're binging a Netflix yeah. uh the series or something? You could do that. You know what? The last the last one I published was a really special episode for me. So I'm gonna recommend that one first. Okay. Um, I interviewed Marcus Sheridan and he is a he is a hugely successful marketer, hugely successful. He owns three companies, entrepreneur, and he, um, he's one of my marketing idols. So just the fact that he came on the show was just like a dream come true for me. That's awesome. And, um, so I would recommend that it's, it's the last episode. It's called, I think, transformational communication with Marcus Sheridan. And the reason I recommend it is because, you know, your podcast and what you do, and Jim, is just so exciting. What you're doing to try to help um, help companies create and cultivate a really amazing culture. Yeah. And one of the things he talks about in the podcast is is how to how to listen, how to do a better job of listening, and how to coach people with questions so it. that they learn self discovery rather than you telling them what they need to be doing. I think that ties in really well with like you know, those, the leaders that you and I probably respect and love the most are those that really, um, inspire people to self-reflect and self-discover um, solutions. So I would say Marcus Sheridan, and he has so many wisdom bombs in that episode. I, I just like, it was great. (laughs) So yes, that's what I would say. But all of, all of my guests have been, they're just all amazing. So yeah, I didn't ask that question to diminish yeah. any other guests. Yeah. I apologize. As I'm reflecting on the question, I'm like, wow, that was kind of a jerky question to ask. But no, um, uh, 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 I, yes, recommend, uh, but not to diminish anybody else. Yeah. Um, so I love it. Uh, that's where I'm going to start. Um, I'm going on the road next week. And so I plan on. I've already got a couple episodes. I don't know if Marcus was one of them that I downloaded, but I'm going to make sure that I've got that uh, teed up and ready to go. Um, Nicole, you're a thought leader in the the marketing space. Uh, and, and so what kind of trends and shifts do you see 
in this intersection of marketing and culture and how do you see it impacting uh, the, the manufacturing industry? Oh, such a great question. Okay. This is what I'm, I'm seeing. And this is what I, I'd say. AI, like ChatGPT, mm-hmm. is, is revolutionizing and changing the way that we communicate, the way we think, the way we work in ways that we can't fully understand. And we're starting Absolutely. to see the impact of that. Yeah. But the one thing that AI can never replicate is they can't replicate the unique parts of your brand as a business. Ah. And the only way that you as a company can stand out because there's going to be a proliferation of derivative content that's just going to be everywhere because of AI. Yep. And so from my perspective as a marketing, if you really want to stand out from the noise, if you really want to separate yourself, you have to lean into what is unique about you as a brand, what sets you apart in your industry, and not be shy about sharing it and sharing your voice and putting some humanity to your brand. So what does that look like? That means that if you are um, on the executive team, if you're a subject matter expert, you need to get out there. You need to be on podcasts. You need to be on going to events. You need to be, you know, you need to be out there doing shows like this, putting yourself out there so that your, your people are going to see, know, and, and feel the humanity of your brand and what it is that makes you unique and different than everyone else. Yeah. And I think the manufacturing companies that can, they can really lean into that, the executive team that can buy into that, like they're so shy about like all this stuff. Do it scared, man. Yeah. You know, like you built a company, you did it. You, you, I mean, it's, inc- you know, you got it. People need to hear what you, about you, all of that, your story, your history, all of that stuff. So I would yeah. say you got to lean into that and show the humanity, show the faces behind your company and not just your executive team, but show your employees, show, let them be the voice of the brand for you and create a, you know, a, a culture where there's not a fear for them to share on social media or, you know, like encourage them to yeah. promote and showcase what it is that's so great about the work that you're doing and how you're serving your customers. So yeah. I would say that's what I would recommend is to just lean into that and wherever you can leverage your customers as part of that process, really invest in your customers and creating some a, a community with them so that you are building, um, uh, your your biggest evangelists like uh, creating a way where you can um, turn your customers into your evangelists so that they are doing the selling for you. Yeah. So there's a really great book by Mark Schaefer. It's called Belonging to the Brand, and he talks all about how going forward, looking ahead, um, the the most successful companies are going to be those that are leading with community. They're building communities within and among their own customers, and those those customers are the ones that are out there selling promoting, you know, doing the work to bring more customers on board. And you see this on social media with like user generated content and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So as companies, you need to be thinking about what can I do to turn my customers into evangelists for my brand? How can I create a community where they can help me sell, but then also help me innovate, you know, leverage your customers to help you figure out how you can make your products better, your services better, and creating a structure there for, for that so that you're you have like a, a, a direct line of feedback with them where you're hearing from them regularly what's working, what's not. Because the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, you never want to be chasing your competitor. You always want to be chasing your your customer. If you're closer to your customer than anyone else, you are always going to be ahead of your competitor. 
So then I think if, if, as companies, if you can create a situation there where you are staying really close to them through community, that's going to be. I absolutely love it, Nicole. Um, so I know that we're kind of up against some time here. Um, what kind of parting thoughts, if you have any, uh, would you like to share, uh, some wisdom bombs do you have, uh, for, uh, the listeners of the manufacturing culture podcast? I just think, you you know, manufacturing, this is going to sound really cheesy. Just love your people. Yeah. Just love them, you know, respect them you know, let them have a voice in what it is that you're doing. So what does love look like? You know, give them a voice, hear what they have to say, listen to them and act on what it is that they're telling you. And if you really show them that respect and do that, they're, you know, you're going to, you're just going to be mind blown with what, what they would, you know, what they would do for you. So anyway, I love it. That's That's great. Well, thank you, Nicole, very much for your time, folks. That's a wrap on this week's episode. What an absolutely riveting journey we've just taken with the effervescent Nicole Donnelly diving into such an amazing world of manufacturing and its intersection of culture and marketing and really the undeniable magic that comes from marrying the two. We've explored the vibrant tapestry uh, of the industry and how it shapes uh, the the marketing successes that exist out there. From turning business blunders into blessings to advocating for small manufacturers, Nicole's insights have painted a vivid picture of today's manufacturing landscape. If this conversation has sparked your curiosity, head over to the manufacturingculturepodcast.com website for more absolutely thrilling episodes. You'll discover industry leaders, innovators, change makers, all sharing their wisdom, experiences, and secrets to build a thriving manufacturing culture. Do you know somebody who could benefit from listening to Nicole's wisdom that we're sharing today in this episode? Share this episode with your friends, colleagues, and anyone passionate about manufacturing, culture, or marketing. As always, I value your feedback, so please take a moment to rate and review the show. Your support helps me bring more compelling stories, just like Nicole's, to the airwaves. And now, as the gears of this episode wind down, I will leave you with this. Have a great day, and keep making things.